So we're continuing our journey together, lessons in prayer. The lessons in themselves won't help you to pray unless you have an attitude that is moving deeper into the heart of God. Unless you're prepared to live closer to the Father than you did last week, you will not progress in your journey of prayer. But with that attitude and with that heart and in that understanding, then there are some things that uh, the Bible clearly teaches that you and I need to know and understand to help our prayer lives. And we're looking at one of those uh, this morning. Very clearly, Jesus wants us to understand that there are some prayers that you will just have to keep praying. And so he told a story. And unlike many of the stories Jesus told, this one, he told them a story and he explained to them, even before he told it, what they were supposed to learn from the story. And uh, sometimes they tell us, Jesus tells a story, and they get to the end, and the disciples scratch their head, still no idea what it's about. Jesus says, Let me make this really simple. I'm going to tell you a story in a minute. The story is going to teach you that sometimes you just need to keep praying and not lose heart. So when they get to the end of the story, Jesus goes to the disciples, What did it teach you? Hopefully, they didn't scratch their heads. Even if they didn't understand the story, whatever that story is there for, it's to teach me that I must pray sometimes about some things and not lose heart. Has anyone here lost heart around something that they've prayed about? Some of you. (laughs) All of you, I'm sure. Thank you for your honesty. All of us have been in that place, and even when Claire started talking about those prayers, even when we thought about what we might need to write down on the paper, we might have written down something that we used to pray about, and we don't actually anymore, because we've lost heart. Because we've given up. And here Jesus tells this story to remind his disciples, and therefore us, Whatever else you do, do not give up and do not lose heart. And it was part of lots of uh, stories that Jesus would tell, emphasizing the same point. Jesus would tell stories in other parts of Luke's gospel about uh, a friend. Suppose you've got a friend and he, he goes to, uh, your friend goes to bed and then another friend calls and it's midnight and he knocks on the door wanting something. What do you say when someone knocks on your door at midnight? Go away, yes, glad. I I won't ring you when I need help in the night. Uh, Go away. And that's what this man, go away. Uh, And yet the man kept knocking. And just to shut him up, just to shut him up, the friend met the request. And Jesus, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, because he kept on, because he wouldn't let go, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then what follows this parable is some very familiar verses of Jesus. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Knock, and, sorry, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now what our English language doesn't help us see in quite the same way is that this is a present continuous tense. Very literally Jesus is saying, and it comes immediately after that story about the friend, literally Jesus is saying, this is the way you are to live. You are to ask and keep on asking. This is the way you are to live. You're to seek and you are to keep on seeking. 
This is the way you are to live. Knock the door and keep on knocking. And so this morning is for all of you who've had something in your prayer journal, had something in your mind and on your heart, and you prayed and you've lost heart. Or you're praying still, but you're going through the motions now. You kind of know that you should keep praying, but your heart is far away. Your faith is low. You don't think it's making a bean of difference, but you don't give up because it's almost like you've got your fingers crossed. If I give up, then perhaps it won't happen. And you've turned this prayer into almost a a lucky moment. If I just keep saying the words, going through the motions, then somehow it, it may still come to pass. But in your heart, you're far away from trusting your Heavenly Father to give you something that's good and something that's real. And so Jesus tells the story to help us keep praying. Maybe you've still got it open in front of you, page 1052, Luke chapter 8, and uh, let's get back to it and, and understand it just for a few moments uh, and see why maybe persistence is required. So there's a judge. The judge was at the top of the pecking order. He's right up there with the great and the good. The power is all with him. He is all-powerful. He neither fears God nor cares about men. So everyone is at the whim and fancy, quite literally, of this judge holds all the power. And then there's a widow. She is vulnerable. She is powerless. The Bible talks a lot about caring for widows and aliens and orphans because they were without rights, with no power at all in the community. So you've got the judge who controls absolutely everything and you've got the widow who has absolutely no rights, no ability to bribe or manipulate or cajole the judge at all. She has nothing she can barter with. She is utterly at his mercy. That's enough, isn't it, to understand prayer? He is the all-powerful one. There is nothing about our lives that can manipulate or conjole him, and we've been saying that over the weeks. So what's the point of the story? The story is not to create a parallel, but to expose a contrast. This is one of these stories that Jesus told in order to say, if it's like that, in that situation, how much more will it be like this if the situation is different. The point is, if an unjust judge will respond in that way, how much more will your Father in heaven, who has all that same power, but he does care about you, he is righteous and honourable, he does show mercy and grace, how much more will God respond? You're a widow without rights and influence? No. How much more will God respond to you, who's his son or his daughter, adopted into his family? So all the stuff we've been talking about over these weeks, how much more, if God is like that and you are like this, how much more will God answer than this situation with a judge? Even though he doesn't care about God and man, will get off uh, his backside, so to speak, and help this widow who has nothing to offer him. God is not that heartless judge. How much more. And Jesus talks a lot about how much more. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No. 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 That's the point. God's not like the judge. The judge even does this. How much more then will God do that? And so we get all these different stories where Jesus talks about God doing much 
more. If your father, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. No. That's the answer. No. Therefore, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's about contrast. So how do we then stay persistent? What are, the, what are the things that I need in my heart and in my mind to be absolutely sure about in order to keep me going when I feel like giving up on this whole prayer journey? Well, the two, uh, first two, are, are in this parable. Firstly, it's all about who God is. I persist in prayer because God is not like that judge. God is my Father in heaven who delights to lavish good gifts on his children. My trust is in who God is. And secondly, my trust is in who we are. We're not like the widow without any sense of belonging or any rights. The Bible says about you and me that we've been adopted into his family, we share in his kingdom, we're recipients of his inheritance, we have become anything like the widow outside of society, outside of a family, outside of rights, and outside of influence. The the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus has brought us into the family. So if I'm a son and he's the father, if you're a daughter uh, and he's the father, then how much more when you pray? If the unjust judge will do that to a widow, how much more will your father in heaven do that for you and for me because of who we are? But thirdly, because... God is at work. Now this is the tricky one. I need to keep going with my prayers because God is at work even when I do not see him to be at work. God is at work in the situation even when I cannot see. Think about the story of Joseph for a moment. His brothers hated him. They put him into a hole in the ground and they left him there to die. Then, in the distance, there was a a load of caravans coming, some Bedouins, some travellers, making their way to Egypt. And the brothers said, let's sell him and send him to Egypt. And that's what they did. In that pit, as Joseph cried out to God, he could see absolutely nothing about what God was doing. Even as his brothers sold him and he went as a slave down to Egypt, Joseph probably perceived absolutely nothing but the hands of evil men. Right? Yet, at that moment, in that situation, when Joseph had absolutely no perception at all that God was doing something, God was weaving his stupendously brilliant purpose. We know the story, Joseph would end up as prime minister in Egypt at a moment of world famine and save hundreds of thousands of lives. Not a bad purpose for your life. Joseph couldn't see it. God was busy sending travellers along, getting their brothers to sell him, sending him down to Egypt. God was very busy, even when Joseph couldn't see it. God's very busy even when we can't see. You say, how do I know? I know because of who he is. He's the Father in heaven who loves us and longs to lavish good things upon us. You see, if you don't get the fatherhood of God right, nothing else fits when it comes to prayer. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father. That's where it all begins. 
We have to get that right to understand the journey that God's calling us on. And so, when Joseph couldn't, and the same is true right through through the Bible, think of the time when they're in exile in Isaiah's day and they're crying out to God, and it's like God's not hearing, God's not doing anything, and he raises up a, a pagan ruler of all people by the name of Cyrus to work his purpose out. And it looked like on the human level, that zilch, nothing, absolutely nothing. God had left them and abandoned them. But at that moment, nothing could have been further from the truth. And my prayer this morning is very simple. That we would see in those prayers that we've been praying for, perhaps for many years, when it looks like absolutely zilch is happening, that we will begin to trust a God who's always at work or who is especially at work when I cannot see it and when I do not know it. God's at work in a situation. God's at work in us. Sometimes God answers my prayers at what I consider to be the wrong time. But then in hindsight, I understand that God was doing something in me through the process so that when he was able to answer the prayer, I was in the right place to receive it. So God is at work in situations, God is at work in us, and maybe we don't perceive that at the time, but God's building our faith, stretching our commitment, uh, deepening our holiness, and so he's calling us on. Sometimes God's at work in the spiritual realm, and we can't see it. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers, the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world, in the heavenly realms. And if you're not aware of the dark forces in this world, wake up. Where have you been? Everywhere we look, everything that we see has a blanket, a shroud of a power that's at work, that's less than God, but nevertheless at work in our world. And what do we do? Our prayers bring down those powers. Hallelujah. Our prayers bring down those powers. Oh, it's two hallelujahs, it's too much. You kind of, but you ticked it off, I've said hallelujah out loud once, I don't need to do that again. <laughs> Prayer is our weapon. But if we don't believe in those powers, if we do not see those powers, if we do not believe that our prayer makes a difference in the spiritual realm, then I'll stop praying. And Daniel could have been tempted to do that. And we, uh, Jonathan was reading this passage as we were praying at 10 o'clock before the service and, and making the point that Daniel persisted in prayer because he knew that his prayer counted. And the Bible gives us a window on what was happening in the spiritual world as Daniel was praying. So on the human plane, Daniel's praying like mad. And what's happening? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So he packs up his mat and he goes home. No, he knows enough to understand that when he can't see what God is doing, God is probably still doing something anyway, because God's like that. And there was a war going on in the heavenlies, and Daniel's prayer went all the way to breakthrough. Hallelujah. I would have been in danger of stopping praying too soon because I got fed up and bored of a God that wasn't doing anything. When in fact God was, was working in the heavens on my behalf. And that's what Daniel's story tells us. You can look at it in Daniel 10 at your leisure. And we've got passion for life coming. And the Bible tells us very clearly that we live in a spiritual world 
where the spiritual world is more real than the physical world, and it's the spiritual world that creates the biggest problem. We think that if we can intellectually help people understand faith, they'll believe. We think that if we can experientially help people understand faith, then they will believe. But the Bible says that you can have all that. You can even have someone be raised from the dead, and people will go, so what? Why? Why, when they asked for another sign, did Jesus go, there's no point giving you another sign. It's not signs that they need. Why? Because the spirit of this age has what? Has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. That's why when you sit in an evangelistic meeting, and you will for Passion for Life, Steve Gorkroger will preach, and he's an average preacher, fair to middling. Money jealous. Who's been an inspiration to me, actually, in his uh, younger days. He's a bit older now. Don't let that put you off. Um, uh, uh, you'll go, why doesn't everyone give their life to Jesus? Have you ever done that in a meeting? Isn't this so obvious that everyone's going to come to the front? No, just me. Uh, and, and some of them won't. Because they'll just go, duh, don't see that. It's not that they don't understand the words. It's just like it goes whoosh over their heads. Paul explains why. Why? Because the spirit of this age has what? Blinded. So what are we going to do? What opens their eyes? What is the weapon that brings down the stronghold of blindness? Prayer. Prayer. And so God is at work in the spiritual realm, even when we do not see. And we need to pray, and we need to trust, and we need to hang on to God. And it's one blow at a time. That's often the way, isn't it? There's a lovely story, uh, a lovely story that uh, Patricia St. John tells uh, of Lilius Trotter, who, uh, Lilius Trotter could have been a brilliant artist, uh, but she felt called by God to become a missionary in Algeria. Uh, much to John Ruskin's disappointment, uh, actually, because she could have made such a great artist. And she went and she started living in the slums in North Africa. And she missed the beauty that she'd enjoyed. And often she'd try and get out into the Sahara area and paint some beautiful pictures of the beauty of that part of the world. And over her bed was a huge mat of North Africa and she would kneel in front of the map and she'd pray for the people and she'd pray for a breakthrough and she'd pray that God would would open the door for the gospel in that part of the world but to be honest it was really hard going and she saw humanly at that moment very little fruit but she kept on praying and she was tempted to give up what's the good of praying God doesn't seem to be doing anything here in response to my prayers. And then one night as she was asleep, suddenly, without any warning, the wall of her bedroom, which was also the side of the house, completely crumbled. And she's lying there in bed with the bakers next door on full view. And nobody could understand it. There hadn't been a crack in the wall. There'd been no visible sign that there was anything wrong with the structure of the wall. It was a complete mystery. Why suddenly, in the middle of the night, no earthquake, no nothing, did this wall come tumbling down? And the local builder architect went to investigate. And he came back a few days later, and he says, I now understand exactly why your wall came down. Next door in the baker's, there was a cellar. And in the cellar, there was a machine that every night, all through the night, would need dough. A little vibration, back and forth, back and forth, back 
and forth. Each vibration was hardly noticed because it was so faint. But every night, back and forth, back and forth. And you know what? One day, suddenly, the wall came tumbling down. Your prayer's like that. Hardly noticed. It's like nothing is happening. Back and forth, back and forth. Suddenly, the wall comes down. That's why so many times in the Bible, it talks about the answer coming suddenly and quickly. At the end of the parable you've got in front of you, quickly, suddenly it happens. Almost unexpectedly. At the moment when all hope seems lost, you're back and forth. Back, nobody knows. It's, you're down in your cellar. You're in your quiet place. Back and forth. Suddenly, the wall comes down. Hallelujah. And we could look at other things as well. We could think about why God's way is, is not ours. God weaves his purpose in, in beautiful ways, unlike ours. And, and how Paul the Apostle needed to, to, to learn that that's what God would, uh, would do. Uh, Paul was desperate, desperate to go to places to preach. Uh, and the more he prayed and the more desperate he became, it, it was like God just didn't open the door. And if you know uh, Acts chapter 16, you'll know that God was opening up the door to Macedonia where a very wealthy and influential businesswoman named Lydia was going to come to faith. God could see what Paul couldn't. His ways are different to ours. We need to go with the ebb and flow of the Spirit. And so as Paul persisted in prayer, he came through to the conclusion. And then finally, God's way uh, is not our way. And then finally, God's end will come. God, God's end will come. As we pray, God does respond to our prayers. And when Peter was kept in prison, the church was earnestly praying for him. And they prayed through the night. And the amazing thing is, when Peter came out of prison, he goes to where they were praying, and they almost don't let him in because they're so surprised that he's there. That's faith-filled prayer for you. But I would have gone home at 10 o'clock, wouldn't you? Because I need my Horlicks at 10 o'clock, and I need to be in bed with my hot water bottle and my electric blanket at half past 10 so that I can be upright and breezy the next morning. And yet they prayed through the night. And then suddenly in the small hours of the morning, there Peter is. Now you'd be a right Charlie if you went home at ten, wouldn't you? And Peter showed up at midnight. Now sometimes I bow to my praying too soon, don't you? Sometimes I give up too early. Pray until God says you can stop. I don't know how else to explain it. There are some times uh, uh, when, when God clearly says, you've prayed, you've prayed that through, rest and wait and see. And you discover that at that same hour, somewhere, somewhere else, God's done something quite amazing. But until, you're, until the Spirit of God has said, stop, keep praying. Otherwise, you'd be like the prayer meeting. When Peter gets out and you've gone home, when you least expect it, the answer will come. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. That's what an unjust does, judge does. How much more your father in heaven. But how? But how? Well, last time we talked about having faith. And that's what the son of man's looking for when he comes back. That'll be the deal. Not whether you've kept praying, but whether you've kept praying in faith. So don't be persistent with your faithless prayers like we heard about last week. Don't pray outside of your faith. Don't pray out of your unbelief. Pray to the level of your faith and be persistent in that prayer that you can truly believe in. But how? How do we do that? Because I find it so difficult to keep going. Well, it's dead easy. It's dead easy. Because I hear what Samuel is saying. 
But it's so easy to be committed to praying and then to fail to pray and to sin against the Lord. Sometimes we say, I'm praying for you. And then we don't pray. I say to people a lot, I'm praying for you. I try to work really hard to make sure when I say I'm praying for you, I am praying for you. And I'm not just saying I'm praying for you. It kind of covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Oh, I'm praying for you. But to say you'll pray for someone and then actually pray for someone is really hard work. And Samuel goes, I don't want to be that person that fails. So how? Well, with others. That's how. All through the Acts of the Apostles, they prayed together. They sustained their prayer by praying together. Now that can take many forms. I'm just going to talk about one. You see, you can pray together in your small group, and I hope you do. And the small group leaders uh, say to me that prayer is better and more encouraging and growing in our small groups, and that's absolutely fantastic. But if you've got something that you're being persistent in prayer at, it's hard to say that week by week, isn't it? Some of you will find it really hard to go to your small group and say, will you pray for X, Y, and Z? When everybody knows you've been asking for X, Y, and Z for the last 18 months, everyone goes, oh... You feel really encouraged. So what do you do? Next time you go to your small group, you don't pray. It's fine. And it's not. X, Y, and Z is still there. So get together in your twos and your threes. They used to call it prayer triplets. That's not a bad name, is it? Call it prayer triplets because there's three of you. You could call it a prayer triplet and be four, and the spirit would still move. And it would be okay if there were just two of you as well. And you come together to pray as regularly as you can, keep it regular, and decide what things you're going to pray for. You'll both have long-term needs. And when you get to the prayer meeting, you say, what are we praying for? The other person won't groan because they'll know beforehand what we're praying for. We're going to pray for A, B, and C, or X, Y, and Z. And pray together. Because you do it together, you will do it in a way you will never do it by yourself. It's like God's opening up all kinds of things in me And it's all about togetherness. Some of the thinking at the moment that I've been doing is about how do you help the people of God to read their Bible every day? Because we all do that, don't we? So I can tick that off, is that okay? See, that's tough, isn't it? To be in God's Word really, truly, openly, every day, that's hard work. I find that hard. That's just me? No, you find that, that's hard. That's hard. And so... uh, We've taken a very individualistic approach. I'm going to do this by myself. And the beauty of doing it by myself is when I don't do it, I don't have to tell you. And you've been glad about that as well. But what if you did it together with someone? What if you did it together? So a model that's fascinating me at the moment is that uh, a group, groups together, first 20 minutes they read their Bible. Second 20 minutes they listen to what God is saying about what they've just read, they journal it, uh, they, they apply the application that the Spirit's laying into their hearts. The last 20 minutes they share it with the rest of the group. That puts the pressure on, doesn't it? Hey, I need that pressure to read my Bible every day. And maybe you do read your Bible every day. And I try to read my Bible every day. But I can go through the form too easily. I can do it and get it done. And maybe I'm being too honest now. Maybe you think, oh golly, what a a religious nutcase he is. (laughs) It's hard to do it properly. To be in God's word and really let him speak to you. It's hard to pray persistently and really cry out to God. 
much easier to do it together. Find someone. Find three of you. Find four of you. Husband and wife. Brothers, sisters. Find someone. Pray together. I need that other. And I think you probably do too.